Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Last weekend, I um, was lucky enough to be on a retreat. And for me, retreats feel like great refuge, getting away from it all and letting everything just drop and finding that stillness. And during one meditation, uh, this Rumi poem that we're going to talk about today came up for me and uh, really touched my heart in a very sweet way. It's a little visit. And it seemed to me that this poem felt more like an invitation and a contemplation, um, something to really inquire into deeply. So I thought I'd bring the poem to you and maybe we could take this on together as a group, inquire together, contemplate together, and feel the invitation. Okay. We're going to say who Rumi is. Um, so, so the poem is uh, three lines, and, and I'll show it to you. Um, it was written over 800 years ago. And as I understand, Rumi is one of the most popular poets in the United States. Mm -hmm. And his work has been translated into 23 languages. And uh, Beyonce named her twin. Okay, I had to put that in, because if you look on the internet, you get things like that. <laughs> Rumi, are you talking about Beyonce's baby? <laughs> exactly, right. So, little details. Lots of little details, right? Okay. So, um, so for those of you who don't have not met Rumi yet, he uh, was a 13th century Persian scholar, mystic, and poet um, from the Sunni Muslim tradition, uh, scholar, theologian. And he was born in what we think is, was, or currently is Tajikistan, possibly Afghanistan. That's uh, what I, I, different sources say different things. 1207 to 1273. Um, and very interesting character. I won't go into his life story because I don't think it's relevant to our contemplation today, but something to talk about maybe in the future a little bit more. And here are some brief Rumi quotes to get you. Um, and, and you've seen the one we're doing, and this is not a new one to you, but just to get you a little in the mood. Okay. The world is the place where the light enters you. The world is the place where the light enters you. Uh, lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They're uh, they're in each other all day long. Stop acting so small. You are the universe in ecstatic motion. I love that one. You are the universe in ecstatic motion. So you're getting a flavor of his poem, of his poetry. 
And he wrote thousands and thousands of poems, apparently. Um, some short like this. So this is the one, I, I know most of you have seen it maybe on a greeting card. You know, it's all over the internet. But um, who would like to read it out loud for the group? Anybody want to volunteer to read it out loud? Missing a line. Is it? It's missing a line. It's missing a line? Okay. Do you want to read it and put your line in? Yeah. Um, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you see, can see the rest? When yeah. the soul lies down in the grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. One more person reading out loud. Let's have a, a loud male voice. I can be Butch. Do Butch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> We're going to have Kai read it because he's right in front of us. Out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in the grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. So you have to remember the field part. <laughs> you know, it's a long beach. There's an empty lot. I'll meet you there. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's concrete. I'll meet you there. But the field is important. So just a little bit, um, what words jump out at you? Anybody have a word that they're kind of getting their attention? Ideas. Ideas. Wrongdoing, rightdoing. Wrongdoing, rightdoing. Beyond. Beyond. Soul. Soul. Anybody else? Yeah. Each other. Each other. Mm -hmm. Meet you there. I'll meet you there. Meet you there. So another question looking at this, is there a sentence that jumps out at you? The one that I struggle with is the world is too full to talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When the soul lies down. When the soul lies down. Lies down in the grass, yeah. Lies down in the grass. I don't mean to alter it. When I see uh, lights down, lie down in the grass, uh, I think of a field where no one else is everything. Mm, yeah. Is there an invitation in there for you? Anybody see an invitation? What's the invitation? I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Right, right. Any other invitations that you can see in there? Let go of right and wrong. Let go of right and wrong. One more. Lay down the soul in the grass. So now I want you to put the sentence in front of it, I am the one who, and find something in this poem. So I'll start with one just to give you an example. So I am the one who longs to meet you there. I am the one in the field. I am the one who goes out beyond. I'm the one who lies down in the grass. I'm the one 
It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I am the one that lets go. I am the world that is too full. Mm -hmm. I am the idea of wrong. What is it? A wrongdoing and and right doing. One more. I would like to think I lie down in that same field. Can you move the path just a tad? Sure. Cool. I am out beyond. Way beyond. Way beyond. That's so true. So as we talk about this a little more, anybody have one more? As we talk about this in terms of mindfulness and some of the Buddhist principles and practices, I invite you to take this on as an invitation, but find your invitation in it. What speaks to you? Respite from samsara. Mmm, nice, beautiful, right, right. What are you invited to? What is inviting you in your practice? And take this with you when you leave and maybe put it in a journal and reflect on it. Give this little poem of three lines some space and time in your life to see where it brings you, to see what arises, to see how this can um, fire up or light up your practice, your understanding, and maybe um, some energy for your practice. This, they're beautiful beautiful words. So let's see what I'm going to tell you about this in terms of practice. Ah. Oops. So several things occur to me around this invitation. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about it. Um, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. For most of us, um, we need to go beyond the judgments of our mind. The mind is evaluating and judging ourselves and everybody else and everything around us. And the world gets very full with those judgments. We can, it can feel very heavy. Um, and even the people that we love and we like to be around and we enjoy, sometimes the mind can start judging. Or even we, we don't even give people a chance because the mind is already telling a story before somebody talks or speaks, right? So this is, there's an invitation in mindfulness practice, in Buddhist practices, to get out beyond this judgmental mind that looks at the world in the eyes of right and wrong, that's evaluating and critiquing all the time. We want to find the space between the mind talking to us all the time. And in Buddhism, the blueprint of the yoga, the, of, of the Buddhist teachings, uh, the Buddhist philosophy gives us really a blueprint to work with that, right? It says, um, find your body, feel and sense your body, get out of your mind. Right, bring your awareness into the body, into the breath and posture. That's the first foundation of mindfulness. And a few of us um, in the room or in an Eckhart Tolle class, um, 
at Valeria's house and we we for and Michael was there and we talked for a long time about these gateways to being gateways to um, present moment experience and being and one of them is this body awareness of this very body finding the present moment through the body and the body as an anchor and then the Buddha talks about in the second foundation of mindfulness this very thing that the mind has an object an object arises and the first thing we do because we're human and breathing is I like it I don't like it I like it I don't like it or I'm a little fogged out about it right but when we like some something we're just clinging like mad and when we don't like it we're pushing it away and rejecting it for those of us who were sitting yesterday at the Montecito Center, uh, a lot of liking and grabbing and clinging to the silence of that place. It's a quiet place to sit, generally. And yesterday, it sounded like there was a jackhammer behind the building. <laughs> they were doing construction of some kind. And so, especially around the 30-minute uh, sit. So, you know, you ring the bell. <laughs> you know, it's like the whole building was shaking. And um, it was so interesting just to see the aversion and the not liking and the pushing it away, right? It shouldn't be there. This is my quiet meditation. What? Right? And we go through our lives like this. I like it. I don't like it. It's not my way. Or I'm kind of tuned out about it. And we're pushing and we're pulling with our awareness. We're rejecting or grabbing or wanting it different. And here we are, you know, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. And the Buddha, in his teachings, are asking, in a certain way, it's an invitation. What is beyond I like it and I don't like it? I, I want this, I don't want it. I'm pushing it away, I'm grabbing onto it and clinging, right? What's beyond that? What's beyond that pattern of the mind? and these concepts, right? Um, I'll meet you there, right? There is a field. There is a field. There is the field. The field of dreams. Okay, so in that field of practice, um, we can meet each other there, right? Beyond this mind that's judging it all the time. So, um, we also talk a lot about, in the world of spirituality, the concept of duality and opposites. This is good, this is bad. Um, rich, poor, beautiful, ugly, sick, healthy, right? I feel good, I don't feel good. Um, I'm in great shape, I'm in bad shape. My bank account's enough, it's not enough. I'm enough, I'm not enough. We're constantly in these polarities. And um, Rumi, in this poem, is inviting us to go beyond that dual mind into oneness. And a lot of the Sufi writings and the Muslim writings point to that concept of non-duality, of oneness. And um, this field, in which I left out here, <laughs> trying to write it right, is our state of mind, right? It's our state of mind, the natural condition. 
And the Buddha points to this too. He says, look at your state of mind beyond liking and not liking. Right? What is, and that's the third foundation. What is the state of mind? What is the mind that's looking out at the object? Who is looking? What is looking? We get beyond the separateness. We get beyond the I and you, right? The good and the bad of it. And we have so many ideas of what's good and bad, right? Tell you some more stories about that. All right. So, um, there's a great mystery in the absolute reality of um, when opposites merge, when good and bad dissolves. Quite a mystery there. We can't fully understand that or figure that out. But in mindfulness practice, and particularly in Buddhism, when we talk about the third foundation of mindfulness, we're talking about um, aware of thoughts and feelings, right? Awareness, not pushing away, not rejecting, not clinging and holding on, not tightly evaluating or getting lost in a thought or feeling, building an identity in it. Um, but simply embodied knowing and noticing and allowing it to be as it is, to explore it in a way that doesn't have that eye in there. It's arriving, it's arriving. And that's kind of what happened for me a bit on the retreat was I hit a wall of anger on the retreat. And it was particularly in anger, some of you know me, about a political thing, situation, <laughs> idea. And there are so few out there, I mean, really. <laughs> Any minute you're gonna be angry about something, right? And I really hit a wall. And um, so this anger, like fire, really arose, and I felt a kind of rage. Mm -hmm. Here I am in this beautiful place, and I felt a rage, mm -hmm. a fiery rage, and I thought, I just want to stomp on this person's head. It was a politician. But you can pick the one you want. There are so many now. Uh, <laughs> plethora of politicians, right? I just want to stomp, and I thought, to myself, the next thought was, um, well, actually, I verbalized it to one of my teachers, and she's, and I said, but that's just not Buddhist of me to want to stomp on a politician's head. And she just laughed, and she smiled, and she said, oh, really? Go there. Stomp. And in my mind, in, I, in my body, I visualized the stomp. I just got into it. I realized the skill of her teaching in that moment. Because if we are not where we are, where are we? You know, oh, I'm a good Buddhist. I can only think loving thoughts. No. <laughs> I can only be where I am, right? I can only be right where I am and accept it and be with it in a compassionate way. So I let myself stomp on the politician's head, you know. And I just allow it. You know, it's just an, it's allowing, not an eye, but so much as an experiencing of that rage. So that's rage and anger. And on a certain level, I mean, it's literal in the world, right? 
But what's beyond the rage and anger? What's beyond it? What's beyond it? What's beyond it with awareness is energy, caring, love, compassion, vastness, support, universal support, depth, beauty, joy. Uh, there's one more word. Change. Hmm? And I was thinking change, which is yeah. actually foundational, right, in Buddhism. So yeah. I feel like energy, I mean, anger is energy that really allows change. Change, right, right. Because of this fire. Yeah, and there's something even ecstatic and joyful in the fire, and it's alive. And I thought, wow. Right? Wow. There's no opposite there. They met, right? Hatred, anger, love, joy, compassion, ecstasy, support, vibrancy, universal love. It's all there, all one. And this has been written about in Buddhist path, Sufi path, Muslim path, many paths for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. This has been experienced and written about. So I'll read a little bit about what uh, some teachers have written about this moment. So it's getting beyond the opposites, getting beyond a clinging to an idea. It's out in the field, beyond, beyond. And sometimes we have to lie that sense of identity and this egoic structure down, right? And then, in that moment, the world becomes full not of my personality, not of me, not of my idea of who I am and what I want. It's full in the absence of that, in its absence, in its emptiness, in its void-like quality. And then ideas, language, even the phrase each other isn't so important. Yeah. isn't so meaningful. So, um, in Buddhism, one gateway to this is the body. We're talking about our Eckhart Tolle book. Another is um, nature, connecting with nature. Another is knowing the mind, which is all what, the, what Buddha points to, the field of mind. So there are many gateways for us. This is not in, it's something that is not touchable, not known, and not seen. This is available in our practice. And the thing that I notice that most of us really don't do is we don't give a lot of time for those moments, present moment awareness. We're, we're busy. 
We're busy on all the stimulus, but, but we need to lay down in the field a little, yeah? So I'll read a little bit, and then we'll have some time for dialogue or questions, because I know this is tricky stuff, yeah? So this is from uh, Chogen Trumpa, and he's a Tibetan teacher, was a Tibetan teacher. And he talks about, um, <clears throat> I'll read a little bit, generally, when the idea of ego is presented, this egoic self, right? The immediate reaction on the part of the audience is to regard it as a villain. We don't like the concept of the ego, my ego. We're always trying to get rid of it. Um, an enemy. You feel you must destroy this ego, this me, which is masochistic and a suicidal approach. People tend to think this way because usually when we speak of spirituality, we tend to think that we are fighting the bad. We are good. Spirituality is the ultimate good and the epitome of good, and the other side is bad. But true spirituality is not a battle. It is the ultimate practice of nonviolence. We are not regarding any part of us being a villain, an enemy, but we are trying to use everything as a part of the natural process of life. As soon as a notion of polarity between good and bad develops, then we are caught in spiritual materialism, which is working to achieve happiness in a simple-minded sense, on the way to egohood. So the dualistic wall is not something we have to destroy or eliminate. But having seen emotions as they are, we have more material with which to work with creatively. This makes it quite clear that the notion of samsara illusion is dependent upon the notion of nirvana, enlightenment, and the notion of nirvana is dependent upon the notion of samsara. They are generally dependent. If there were no confusion, there would be no wisdom. So everything, wrong, right, everything, everything leads to understanding and the whole. Everything gets used. I'd love to read a little more. This is a wonderful book, The Myth of Freedom. But I want to talk about Thich Nhat Hanh's, uh, concept, Thich Nhat Hanh's concept of interbeing, and I love some of his writings. We would call it interdependence, but he calls it interbeing. It's beautiful. So I'll read a little bit. <clears throat> if you are a poet, you will see clearly that there is a cloud floating in this sheet of paper. Without a cloud, there would be no rain. Without rain, the trees cannot grow. And without trees, we can't make paper. The cloud is essential for the paper to exist. If the cloud is not here, the sheet of paper cannot be here either. So we can say that the cloud and the paper inter-are. Interbeing is a word that is not in the dictionary, yet, <laughs> right? But if we combine the prefix inter with the verb to be, we have a new verb, interbe. If we look into the sheet of paper even more deeply, 
we can see the sunshine in it. If the sunshine is not there, the forest cannot grow. In fact, nothing can grow. Even we cannot grow without sunshine. And so we know that the sunshine is also in the sheet of paper. The paper and the sunshine inter-are. And if we continue to look, we can see the logger who cut the tree and brought it to the mill to be transformed into paper. And we can see the wheat. We know that the logger cannot exist without his daily bread. And therefore, the wheat that becomes his bread is also in the sheet of paper. And the logger's father and mother are in it too. When we look in this way, we can see that without all these things, the sheet of paper cannot exist. And looking even more deeply, we can see that we are in it too. It is not difficult to see, because when we look at a sheet of paper, the street or paper or some perception, your mind is in it. Your mind is in here, and mine is also here. So we can say that everything is here in this sheet of paper. You cannot point out one thing that is not here. Time, space, the earth, the rain, the minerals, the soil, the sunshine, the cloud, the river, the heat. Everything coexists with this sheet of paper. This is why I think the word interbe should be in the dictionary. <laughs> to be is to interbe. You cannot just be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with every other thing. The sheet of paper is because everything else is. Suppose we try to return one of the elements in its source. Suppose we return the sunshine to the sun. Do you think that this sheet of paper would be possible? No. Without sunshine, nothing can live. And if we return the logger to his mother, then we have no sheet of paper either. The fact is that this sheet of paper is made up of non-paper elements. And if we, turn, we return these non-paper elements to their sources, then there can be no paper at all. Without non-paper elements like mind, the logger, sunshine, and so on, there will be no paper. As thin as this sheet of paper is, it contains everything in the universe in it. So there is a field beyond our limited and separate ideas. And the invitation is to meet you there. Thus our practice is with others, not just alone. So I'm going to invite you to meet each other there in 
small groups of three and four for a little bit of time. We don't have a whole lot. And I'd like you to take this invitation, your invitation, and contemplate this three-line poem from over 800 years ago. And let me give you some questions to contemplate, and you pick one. Do you give yourself time to lie down in the grass? When does the phrase each other not make sense? How do you get beyond ideas and language? And how do we meet people there? Or just generally, what is your invitation? What calls you right now in this moment? in this dialogue, in these words, what calls you? So, I invite you to have a chat with your other. So it's great to hear your enthusiasm. I hope you found your invitation. Um, are there any questions or comments? We have a, I'm sorry we don't have enormous amounts of time. I think you could we could explore this all day. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful contemplation and deserves an all-day exploration. But another time. <laughs> so anybody have a question or would you like to share something that you discussed in the group? Yes. One thing that came up in our group that was really interesting was, you know, one of the readings you read is from a sort of teacher that has some controversy and just like how it just gave us an opportunity to not let our ego sort things into right and wrong in that moment to realize that even the teachers are not, the, even gifted teachers are not the teaching. Yeah. They're just yeah. people who it's yeah it's their role in that moment to say the words that point to the teaching but it's not them so even when they fall or do things that are not the buddhas like there's no reason for our for us to call our ego to like ah, you're wrong you now i have a crisis of whatever faith you know what i mean and throw everything out. Right. But it was really interesting, just to speak to kind of, because it has to do with what you're saying, um, that particular teacher and some of the things that are happening now, I wondered if you picked him, because what came up for me was, oh, wrongdoing. How can I listen to this when, because it's like, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with, oh, he, you know, he did fall considerably, most likely. I mean, I know there's still a lot of, um, but... And then being like, yeah, but because of that, does that mean the teachings are less valuable? Does that mean that there wasn't also beauty, like, in his, even just, like, in his existence, in his teachings, in his connections for all of those years prior to that? Um, because in me, I see the, the hardening in my heart. And who, do, who suffers? And that's 
when you think, oh, this is wrong, this is right, and the aversion that creates so much more separation and is very harmful, even much more for the person who's feeling it. Well, um, one of my hopes and prayers will be currently and still is as we sit in community, we develop um, strengths that we haven't had in community. And um, because of patriarchy, things have happened and still happen in spiritual communities that violate people. And this one teacher had that history and now we have a contemporary teacher that has been accused of that. And I think our collective healing, wouldn't it be wonderful where we reach a point where we can protect each other, when we can call out in the name of protecting and no harm, and yet not um, create, make this person the evil other, because it's the, the potential lies within all of us to harm, and all of us to misuse our power, our sexuality. Narcissism can grow in every garden. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm two breaths away, right? <laughs> and if you look at yourself clearly on a clear day, you, it's, a, it's a joy to see your own narcissism. <laughs> power, I think power is the greatest aphrodisiac there is, right? And, you know, a little power is yummy. <laughs> Right? Sexuality, very easily misused mm. to harm, yeah, which is why it's a precept. You didn't even maybe, I mean, I really think, like, because it's so embedded in, and not to, mm -hmm. I mean, take this off, but in the patriarchy, in gender inequality and roles, um, I don't think there's a clear, always a clear seeing of the wrongness on the person who is doing it. And this is what you're saying, and if we can, like, get to the place where with our community, we could come from a place of more like restorative justice mm -hmm. and conversations that allow true change, mm -hmm. in, right? And like understanding about gender and um, this is mm -hmm. this is the potential. And and I want to say in his time, if we're talking about Chogan Trumpa, um, I this is why it's believed now that the spiritual path is not enough, that a good dose of psychotherapy, <laughs> right? Self-evaluation, looking at yourself, if you need a 12-step program, you know, whatever you need, because we must work with what's there. And some things in trauma that are trauma-related, personality structures from childhood, he had quite a bit of trauma, right? Um, that it's not just enough to sit and meditate, perhaps, that we have to deal with the things we closet, we put in the closet, mm -hmm. and we push away. So the invitation, thank you, may also be to clean our own house and to look carefully at ourselves and to take that precept of no harm seriously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes? I would think that that would be something so important for anybody who's in a teaching position. Or, I mean, obviously it could apply to anybody, a doctor, anybody who's in a power structure, but a teacher especially to look at themselves <laughs> and not push away those things. There are ways to deal with these things that don't cause harm. And, and as a community, you know, too, it's like, uh, remember I brought up some time ago, I, I forgot what group it was, but um, um, 
they were definitely African, and when something happened within their community, instead of ostracizing, like aversion, instead of pushing away, instead a circle is contained around this person with love and compassion and direct, direct accountability, but not shaming, yes. you know. Um, and we have a lot to learn in that realm. I have a lot to learn that with my own stuff that I don't like in myself. I, I'm so critical, and I want to cut myself down. So right now, when I see my shit, you know, and it's just not useful. Right. It's old and moldy. Just <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. saying. <laughs> I'm thinking of, of Mandela and the way they handled after apartheid in South Africa on a national level. I thought, very effective, I think. I know they still have issues, but very inspirational. And, and I want to also see this, there's a subtlety, um, having been in spiritual communities for my whole entire life from a little girl, that uh, there's a tendency to um, project upon a teacher in a very narcissistic way. You know, we project the superiority or that the teacher's all-knowing um, or a good father or a good mother. Um, that projection needs to be taken back. And like Paula was saying, everything that that teacher has is in you, and more so. It's not owned by the teacher. But it's a game we play where we make this teacher into some uh, superior god or goddess or knowledgeable or guide, and then um, we devour them with our devotion, <laughs> you know? And uh, we need to take that back. We need to devour ourselves with this inner devotion. Mm. The teachers are pointing, as yeah. well said. They're not, and maybe they're embodying to a degree, but... Um, the message is, you know, my, in City Yoga we used to say, God dwells within you as you. That everything we point to is in you. And you have the capacity for, and there isn't a need to, you know, project this kind of fantasy, this narcissistic fantasy on a being. They're just human, you know, struggling in many, many ways. And um, so we own it too when we give teachers power. We have to give them respect because it's hard work, but power. Yes? Well, I think when, when teachers do come and sexually abuse their followers, and we see a lot of this, um, I think that they're coming also to teach us to um, address sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And that, that's part of their teaching. Part of their teaching is, okay, what are you going? What are we going to do as a society to stop this from happening? Mm -hmm. And so they don't just come as spiritual teachers to teach the spiritual precepts that are explicit. They're also coming as examples of what needs to be fixed about our society. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's very magnanimous. Yeah. 
Because what was it about the spiritual community that allowed that to happen and without calling it? You know, what, why? Does that make sense? Well, it's like the Me Too movement. I mean, all over the world, in country. I mean, it's like someone said, some people don't even know they're doing it because it's been so stamped as approved for so long. They don't even know that that's, I mean, I'm not saying there's that all people aren't conscious of doing what they're doing, but I'm saying there is sort of this, you know, flesh of way of being for so long that, and so now the Me Too movement's happened, and, and this has happened in our community in so many places, in our own homes. Come on, look at your own home. It's happening there. And we are waking up, and it's painful. But it's time. It's time. Yeah, I mean, I guess I look at it like, well, the spiritual community is not separate from what's happening in a macro society, right? So, but what's, what's important in the way, um, I'm sorry, what Jennifer Lisa. What, yeah, <laughs> what Jennifer Lisa said is um, it's happening in every layer of the community, but when it happens where someone is a figure, be it a director, right, of our, or a spiritual leader, we know about it, right? So that's where then we know about it, so what are we going to do about it next? We wouldn't know about it if it weren't Melodine or if it weren't. And whether or not he is, and you know, because you know, there's still a lot going on, and I don't want to, mm -hmm. I don't want to say, I don't want to, I just don't want to really speak harshly about him. Um, more, it's more about the ideas, and more about what he is being accused for that is more important in the conversation. Well, um, it sounds like, from what I'm hearing that one of the invitations that we are all um, contemplating is how to have a healthy sangha. Mm -hmm. And that healthy sangha must include respectfully speaking out when there's harm, that we cannot feel shame about trauma anymore. Because some of, I think, misbehavior happens because we have so much shame around our own personal histories and trauma. We don't address the trauma that's in the homes, schools, community, workplaces, um, in religious institutions. So it's an invitation for us to be able to lessen the shame, to heal the impact of trauma, because it's trauma that kind of keeps people acting out. Um, and um, hopefully we're at a place where less of this happens and not more. So much of it has been happening. And I think the word is idolize, you know, let's stop idolizing and projecting. Take back, take this back. In moments like these, I feel deeper gratitude to the health and um, the energy, the vitality of the, our sitting group. You know, we operate on a little shoestring, and <laughs> who knows how we operate on air, really. <laughs> but we keep going four or five years already, and um, my hope is that this is a healthy environment that's respectful and causes no harm. 
where you can practice the teachings as you wish to in the form and way you like um, and feel safe. And if you ever don't feel safe, Casey and I, Elsie, um, we want to know because it means something to us to create and maintain a safe and healing environment, a respectful environment. So with deep gratitude, you know, um, honoring all of you for holding this space and being part of it and how precious it is and how easily it can go. Mm -hmm. This is what I've learned, how easily it can fall. Mm -hmm. Can I say one more thing? Yes. Um, because it brings me back to what you said with the anger, right? Because it's not only talking about the being vulnerable or being hurt and being the victim, but it's also about those that struggle with anger or certain impulses and don't know what to do and being honest about it and maybe even, you know, open that up and keep acknowledging I'm angry, I'm whatever it is, those negative things, the, the hurt we do to each other to really take accountability, as, you know, the story about the African community, you know, without that everyone would shame you and blame you, but with acceptance and when it's out there and talked about, maybe it doesn't need to be acted out anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. That would be my request for the future, to really just kind of go deeper into skillful means around that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Because I think that we can all agree that it's a great thing to aspire to, but to really do it skillfully is not always intuitive. Yeah? Right. So, just for future thought. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good one. You have just listened to a recording from Inside LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.